The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, episode 136. Janet West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we gotta do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Pete, say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous, but this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home, it's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secret to Stargate, where you talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. And joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. Howdy, Jack. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. Today we are discussing the sixth episode of Season 7, Lifeboat, not the uh, that old television show. <laughs> uh, you want to give us a rundown of this episode, Victor? Sure do. In this episode, SG-1 investigates a crashed alien ship housing people in stasis. Lots of peoples in stasis. They encounter an energy field that knocks them all out, and when they wake up, Daniel Jackson is exhibiting erratic behavior, claiming to be, among other people, the sovereign of Talthus. Medical examinations reveal that there are multiple brainwave patterns in his noggin, and various personalities start to manifest themselves. SG-1 learns that the ship's passengers uploaded their consciousness to memory modules due to their dying planet to be put into stasis to travel out to a new planet, and one crew member woke up early when the ship crashed and started to store multiple personalities in Daniel's brain, including uh, his own son. As Daniel's condition worsens, SG-1 discovers that Farron can undo the situation, but it was result in the death of all those people living inside Daniel's head. Carter proposes using an aqueda generator to stabilize the stasis units, and then traveling to another world to revive the people. However, Farron, influenced by the sovereign personality, refuses SG-1's offer until O'Neill is able to convince him that the sovereign and everyone else inside of Daniel's brain, including Farron's own son, is dead. Farron gets to say goodbye to his son th- via Daniel, and all of the personalities inside Daniel's brain are transferred into Farron. Farron is put into stasis. And SG-4 gets the job of relocating the people on another planet. The end, I think. <laughs> uh, what, did like you, what did you think about this one, Father Corey? Well, you've got Daniel Jackson and Daniel Jackson, arrogant Daniel Jackson and technician Daniel Jackson. And you've got little boy Daniel Jackson and... Uh, the, the joke we've been kind of commenting is that Michael Shanks wanted an Emmy and this was his way of getting it. He wants some kind of award, you know, the Canadian version of an Emmy or whatever it is. And I don't know if he actually did, but he at least wanted it in this one. You know, it was okay, I guess. I mean, it's, you know, the multi per- multiple personality thing is done many times in sci-fi. And this is just yet another episode of that, I guess. Yeah, it's a good concept questionable execution i feel like would be the best way to sum it up and i think a lot of that hinges on uh, michael shanks's ability to portray different people like you you could definitely tell he was trying but a lot of it it didn't come across as particularly convincing it just felt like daniel jackson doing different strange accents (laughs) 
I, I, I thought Michael Shanks did a, a, a pretty good job with the script. It was a Brad Wright script and Brad Wright is, you know, we, we know, he, uh, before he worked on SG one and even concurrent with SG one for a while, was working on the outer limits. And this mm. feels very much like an outer limits. It's like, what if all these people were, you know, downloaded into your brain and you became the lifeboat, you know, and you had to decide is your life worth all these people that you're carrying. And so there's kind of an ethical dilemma that is is present here that doesn't really get resolved. Like the ending is an unsatisfying mess, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because mm-hmm. you have Farron, his son is inside, uh, you know, Daniel. Um, it's, you know, he has to make a choice. Does he save his people or does, you know, and, and lose, you know, his son, which is inside Daniel. But it's a forced choice because O'Neill is the one that's forcing him to make the choice, right, to save to save Daniel. So it's doesn't really work from that. And then they kind of wave it away at the end and say, Oh yeah, all the people that were in Daniel. So Farron's already carrying around in his own brain, like a dozen you know, of them, a dozen well. of them. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, we've learned that, you know, if you don't keep your identity re- repressed, then the people inside of you will take over and you'll lose your identity. So Farron's basically soup at this point. And the the solution is, well, we'll just download the additional dozen people that are in Daniel into Farron and then put him into stasis. And we'll let them worry about that, you know, at some point down there, you know, we'll let the, uh, the, the people on the ship worry about that later. That's their problem now. So it's, it's kind of like a weird, unsatisfying half ending. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my big problem with it was that they build up this question of whether or not the people are really dead and erasing them from Daniel's mind is going to erase them irrevocably, but then they just download them into Farron's head. Even though early on in the episode, they make a big deal about how Daniel has like 12 people in his head and that's like already at capacity and you can't fit Mm -hmm. anymore. But then that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's somebody else's one's problem at that point. Well, and you know, and the whole thing was the only way we can get them out is to is to destroy them, and we can't do that because it's our sovereign and his son. And but yet, then they end up doing it anyways. And I don't know. Once they, you know, so what happens? They 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 wake everybody up, and then they can use all those memory module computers they have now to, I don't know, upload all the consciousnesses back into the memory computers. I, I yeah, it's not really clear because um they do that example where at one point um uh Trian, who is uh, another engineer, so so Farron is an engineer and he still has his body. He's the one who woke up uh when the ship mm-hmm. crashed, found SG one, stunned them, and his plan was to transfer, you know, as many people as he could into the four members of SG one, but only got as far as Daniel before Teal'c woke up and kind of ruined his plans. But one of the consciousnesses he did put inside daniel is trian who's another engineer on the ship uh we really i think only meet three or four people uh inside daniel the first is this very like you know officious sovereign who demands to you know to be put back in his own body the second is uh we talked about it Farron's son he's actually the third but then the second one and the most helpful one is trian the engineer mm-hmm. and um he gives an through Daniel gives an illustration where he picks up a glass of water and a pitcher of water and says, you know, this glass of water represents a consciousness, right? Could you rearrange all of the molecules of water in this glass in this exact same way again, if I did this and poured it back into the pitcher? So how do you separate yep. out the water that was in the glass from the water that's in the pitcher? And so it, it's meant to, 
to seem that there's absolutely no way they can separate the consciousnesses. They're all kind of, you know, in one big brain soup. Um, but then, but then they, they do it. Yeah, then they <laughs> yeah. separate them all from Daniels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they they talk about all the different brainwave patterns they see. So I his analogy with the water doesn't even really hold up under scrutiny under the episode's own logic, which is going by, you know, hand-wavy sci-fi brain-downloading logic. Like, there were no well, clear rules, and so it didn't really make a lot of sense. Well, and, and this is the kind of the part that drives me nuts. Okay, let's say Star, Star Trek, you know, 400 years in the future. They probably have the technology that they can yeah. separate out the patterns of each person on an e, you know, a, a brain scan. We don't have that technology now. We really don't. You're not going to see multiple lines on a screen yeah. for each person's brain scan. You're just going to see one activity monitor, basically, for the brain. Yeah, I mean, on on the Taltus ship, they have this little helmet thing, which is basically like in every cartoon and every science fiction show where you need to transfer somebody's consciousness to another person. Yep. You know, they do the thing where they're all laying down and they put on the helmet. I guess, you know, they could only afford one one helmet, though. So they don't get, you know, separate helmets for the transferer and the transferee. So they have to yep. kind of, you know, switch the helmet around. The stuck on probes, you know, across yeah. the head because you you absolutely have to have that. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. So, uh, but, but, yeah. The the point of this episode is to be a, a, you know, a vehicle for Michael Shanks to to show his range as as an actor. Well, it must have worked because he he did get an award. I kind of joke about it. It was true. He got the prestigious Leo Award, oh. which is given by the British Columbia Film and Television Industry. And the award he got was Dramatic Series Best Lead Performance by a Male. Oh, okay. Nice, but. But Terrell Rothery got dramatic, dramatic series best supporting supporting performance by a female. So, and yeah, let's be honest, yeah. I, she did a better job. Oh, she yeah. she did. Yeah, this this wouldn't work. You know, it's like the whole you know comedy duo. You need like the comic, you know, the clown, and then you need the the straight man or, or straight person to for the comic to kind of play off of. But in the scenes, any sort of drama comes from Doctor Frazier kind of being there and and trying to keep the different personalities and check, you know, she's comforting the small mm -hmm. child. She's, you know, yep. and then has to flip on a dime when, the, when, when the child gets over, you know, takes over by the, by the sovereign, she has to flip on a dime and, and go back into, you know, the Dr. No mode. Yep. And I think that this is like, we, we've talked a lot on the show about how Daniel is usually the one who's raising all the moral and ethical questions and, almost it can almost seem like he's getting in a way in the way of the team getting their goals accomplished and this is the perfect situation where that input from him would have fit with the story but we don't really get that because daniel as daniel's hardly in it and even like you i'm i feel like sam would have also raised the same thing but we don't get any sort of moral question from sg1 themselves they're just immediately like Let's get Daniel. Let's get these people out. Like, there's no, they don't wrestle with it at all. And I feel like that was really lacking. Yeah. I mean, even Sam would say, like, okay, well, what, you know, some, some hand wringing over what right do we have to, to end 12 consciousnesses, right? Because even going back to, as far as Entity, where she was, you know, taken over by the computer, there was even mm -hmm. some hand wringing there about, like, well, do we have a right to erase the computer personality from Sam? 
or whatever they well, were I mean, debating in that one. Yeah, well, remember, uh, doc, Dr. Jackson is the 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 conscious conscious yeah. of SG one. You know, we heard that at one of his deaths. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and it, it it you know the idea too that you know your consciousness cannot survive like cryo freezing. I mean, that's a legitimate question. You know, we're 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 only now yeah. starting to explore cryo cryogenics. Is that true? You know, yes, we can freeze the body so that it will be in perfect physical health, but will the consciousness be there? You know, or will the person will it be a perfect dead body, basically? And that raises like, the other question of so when you're freezing these bodies, they're transferring, I guess they're brain patterns into a computer to back them up so essentially they're killing them every single time they freeze them and then just re-downloading a copy of their memories back into the body so but this even counts as the original people yeah and i, and I think it is kind of an extreme case in in the case of of Taltus because their world was dying and you know mm-hmm. they basically had a lottery to put them on uh, i think the first couple ships i don't know if they worked or didn't work but this was basically like the last survivors of their dying planet and that adds another thing too it's like okay well if we don't rescue these people we've we're committing genocide or at least you know being complicit with genocide and and stuff so you'd you'd think that that would come up a little bit more but uh i I think genocide would be a little bit strong i mean it's uh we're allowing a species to die out but genocide is the active yeah wiping out of a of a race or species so I I think you know that there wouldn't be it wouldn't be the issue of genocide, but it would be you know do they have the moral obligation to try to help save the species? Which I would say yes, they do. Yeah, they absolutely do. But and it's not this the case here. But you know what if like all the survivors were inside Daniel's head, right? He didn't invite them in necessarily, but if if to wipe his you know brain free of them would kill off the the race, right, and stuff. So that they don't go into these. At Stargate, and they don't go no. into these sorts of issues. Yeah. Well, and of course, too, is can the person survive if the body didn't survive? You know, if you still have yeah. the consciousness, you know, let's say you can separate the consciousness from your body. If your body dies and all you have is your consciousness locked in a computer somewhere, did you really survive or do you just have your copy of your consciousness? You know? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of one of those questions you start hearing when people talk about things like this, about uploading your, you know, who you are up into a computer and living in this computer VR world. But are, is it really you or is it just the, the duplicate you've made? You know, are you really just a, a, a fancy hologram? There's actually a game uh, came out probably 10 years ago now called Soma that deals with the same kind of thing, but I feel like explores it in a much more fleshed out way where you're a character who like almost halfway through the game, like you, you fall into a coma and then you wake up in this strange lab and you don't really know what's going on. But halfway through the game, you discover that you're actually a robot that has that consciousness implanted from that person who's now dead. And then to progress through the game, like there's several points where to get to the next area, you have to download your consciousness from your current self into a new a new robot and like basically kill your old self and start again. Um, and it do, it does it in a very interesting way. And that's, I wish they would have done a bit more of that here, or they could have even, I wish they'd gone a bit more like meta. I don't know if metaphysical is the right way, but right word, but like have, have like Daniel conversing with the different 
uh, consciousnesses in his head, like have some sort of debate. Oh, or they're, like right? they're arguing among themselves. Yeah, yeah that's, like that's kind of what like you see with with Farron. You know, where he's the, he basically says that we're we're all a, a a democracy of of the consciousnesses. Yeah, yeah, and that's why Farron refers to himself as he because it's not really Farron anymore. It's all of the. The, all the consciousnesses. No, I think, right? think Farron was still there because he had a, he had the technical knowledge and everything. Yeah, still yeah. Of Farron, but when he refers to himself, so it's he. So maybe the other conscious, maybe he's just one among many inside there someplace. You are, we are the Borg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, big questions left unanswered. Um, there was interesting. I, I I picked up the DVDs for season seven recently and and there was some interesting tidbits on the commentary track which was uh peter deloise who's the director here and then uh peter wust who is the uh director of i think photography and also has directed some wust wust i think but yeah a lot a lot of technical discussion around lighting of the room so most of this episode or most of the interesting bits of this episode take place in like the isolation room in in uh sg uh sgc Really good, uh, you know, perspective from Peter DeLuise about how, like, every time you have an actor, like, walk anywhere in a scene, you have to make sure the cameras can capture it. It's just, you know, it adds time and adds money. So you don't often see a lot of, as people are talking or something, them walking around a scene. But in this one, because mm-hmm. they were able to light it, you know, it's one room, they were able to light it from the top, have a very diffuse light. In, no matter where they walked in the room, they were um, lit. And so they could, you know, mm-hmm. move around quite a bit more in the scene. And it gave the actors a lot more, um, Michael Shanks and Terrell Rothridge, a lot more freedom to, to you know, kind of explore the space as they were acting. Yes. Well, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of sort of a bottle episode then. You know, two, yeah. you really only had like two rooms. You had the, the medical room and then you had the ship, mm-hmm. the, the bays on the ship. Yeah, that's about it and they weren't supposed to spend nearly as much time on the ship like when they sent the you know they request the art art department to say we need a spaceship they said it'll be in five pages of the script which is like five minutes worth and then the script Mm -hmm. came back and it was like three times as much like 14 minutes of the episode is in the ship and they hadn't built that much ship so you know Mm -hmm. they were just very creative and you know how many pods they showed where they did the mat you know kind of Yep. The the digital maps and yeah. stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of the commentary was about which of the extras fell asleep in their stasis pods and kind of <laughs> keeled over and hit their head on the glass, the plexiglass. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they'd and, even uh, have them kind of leaning back a little bit, so if they fell asleep, they just lay back. Yeah, yeah, that was the realistic. thing too. It's like they were asking all these extras <laughs> to close their eyes or in this enclosed space and yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, you know, stuff there, but <laughs> what are, we wonder how many retakes there were. You know, stop, <laughs> stop. Who's snoring? Yeah. Who's snoring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter Deloise actually even just points out the poor extra, like that's the guy who fell asleep. But um, yeah, but yeah, and apparently you know, so Michael Shanks because he's playing different characters, he uses different accents uh, for them. Um, we were we were talking a little bit before we uh, recorded here that you know for the sovereign and for. Uh, Trian, because you know they're more you know upper class he had like kind of a a british or a posh accent for the sovereign and then you know mid-atlantic boston accent for you know the the technician and um he was telling peter deloise this but peter deloise had already cast the actor who was going to play the technician and he's you know michael shanks saying i'm going to do a boston accent for this guy you know when 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 he manifests and so peter deloise had to 
to go to the actor playing uh, Tyr- uh, Trian, Travis Webster, and say, can you do a Boston accent? And, and he's like, well, be like <laughs> what, what's a Boston accent? Because he's, of course, you know, from Vancouver. And so they went back and forth. And that's why uh, in the episode when when the actor playing, uh, you know, Trian in the flashback says something like, you know, the compartment is secure. It's it sounds like a very weird Boston accent <laughs> because Michael Shanks made the de, made the decision to to make that character uh, have a Boston accent. So the the other actor playing that character had to kind of catch up to. Um, nice, but at least he didn't have too many lines. But yeah, <laughs> and I thought I thought Michael Shanks did a pretty good job with the kid. I mean, you know, they covered this on the commentary too that it, it could have devolved into you know Michael Shank playing like an itty bitty baby, you know. Yeah. Um, and it didn't it didn't quite go that far. He's he did right. child pretty well, I would say. Yeah, it's it you seemed know? realistic for the age of the child, you know. Cause, yeah. Because there, there's two balances there. Either the child is far smarter than he should be, because the kid looked to be what about nine, ten years old. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Or, that. And so either, either he's, yeah. he talks like somebody who's, you know, upper teenage years into his twenties or, you know, baby talk, you know, and there's, there's really, you know, it, it's, it's hard to find that balance sometimes where he remembers, you know, this, this kid remembers what happened, remembers going on the ship, remembers going into cryostasis, but can explain it in a way that a kid of that age would do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting choked up because the rest is his mom and it was left behind, you know. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, the the actor they got to, you know, not not to play the child, but the young actor, Ryan Drescher, um, did a very good job when we when we finally see him. And James Park as as Farron, uh, James Parks as Farron, who is, you know, the child's dad, mm-hmm. I think did an excellent job as well with this episode. Probably should have uh, gotten a Leo Award as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It would have been interesting if they had done something like Quantum Leap where, and this kind of would have undercut the whole thing of Michael Shanks being able to play different characters, but kind of do it how in Quantum Leap where in the reflection you can see the actual person, but for the rest of the time it's always Scott Bakula. So it would have been interesting if they'd done it that way where it was the actual actors for the different characters conveying that that was... you You couldn't see... The characters recognizing their the reflection of of Daniel Jackson in the two way mirror. Yeah, I I think that could have worked too because they did have a video camera set up in the isolation room, and at certain points we see, you know, the the feed from the video camera while we're also seeing that mm-hmm. as well. So it would have been kind of cool to on the video camera see like Michael Shanks or something, but in the scene have you know. A different actor playing the part. Yeah, that, then, that might have been do like the reverse of Quantum Leap, yeah. where it's the actor. But then you know, again, Michael Shanks could right. have gotten. His. Yeah, he wouldn't have gotten this. Yeah, award. but that 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 would have been yeah. a good way to do it too. Where, like you said, you see either the mirror or the the video feed is Michael Shanks, mm-hmm. but then on the in the actual room is whatever other person. So it's changing between right. this you know pompous you know sovereign or the technician or the kid or whoever. And I think that I wish they would have gone more artsy with how they portrayed it. Like I wish we would have gotten like a scene of inside Michael Shanks's head, like him talking to all the different voices all together, yeah. just to kind of, <laughs> just to kind of give them more, more characterization than just what we get through Michael Shanks. Cause it gets, it's hard to, 
it's hard to really connect with the characters when you don't ever see them is, themselves. I, I think part of the problem, though, is this, this is an episode that is fairly complex, that they've tried to simplify, and it mm. just ends up kind of dragging as it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's really... There, there would have, they would have to cut a lot of the episode to do something like that. You know, they... they and, and maybe that wouldn't have been a bad thing. There might have been some of the, the conversation about, you know, you're hooking up the Nakoda generator and all that. That could have just, you know, the whole the whole recovery could have been done off screen or, you know, yeah. something like that. I don't know. But there, there's, yeah, it, like I said, it was a very complex episode that they, that it, I, I, I don't think it, they did a great job of, of making, trying to simplify it to fit the, the format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not a lot, as we've mentioned before, for the rest of SG-1 to do, except to talk to, you know, a Farron on the ship and get more exposition that way. Mm-hmm. This was, this is also from the commentary, Richard Dean Anderson's father died as they, you know, started to film this episode, so he had to go home for the funeral. Mm-hmm. And so if you see O'Neill with any of the other members of SG-1, it's his stand-in. You always mm-hmm. just see like a shoulder or something. And then when he came back after the funeral, he had to, they had to shoot all of his kind of reaction shots. Right. So while he's watching, you know, Michael Shanks and, you know, Dr. Jackson and, and Frazier in the, you know, theater there, uh, the, the isolation room, they actually, even though they had already shot their scenes, they came back and did their scenes again just oh, for they? him to react to. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. So no cameras on them, just the camera on, on Richard Dean Anderson. So he could watch and know what he was uh reacting to i thought they would just played it back but that's cool yeah apparently that's what that's what they done did so hmm, interesting sweet yeah. and that's that's why his his role in this episode is so truncated and it's like he pops in to be upset at the end and that's really all he does yeah yeah, yeah. he yeah. wakes up and then yeah he, he just watches and, and then he sits he, yeah. he sits in the computer room there or the observation yeah. room there and well, Teal goes off and does something, and <laughs> yeah, with with Sam, yeah. I also think it's interesting that, being that they've worked so much with the uh, Tokra and against the Ghoul, like, and even Sam has had a Tokra in her, and Jack has too at this point. They don't bring up any of their sort of insights they could have had about having more than one consciousness inhabiting a body. Like, I don't feel like. They touched oh, on yeah. that at all, but no. I mean, the only they mentioned the gold only in so far as was Daniel in, infected by another right symbiote. You know that that he was because because of course you know the, the pompous sovereign was exactly like a pompous gold yeah system lord. So I mean, it it makes sense that they'd go immediately. Hey, you're acting like a gold now. <laughs> yeah, this is not right. <laughs> He didn't have the the voice changer going on though, so that was the tip off. And no eyes, yeah. no flashy yeah. eyes. One one thing that I like, I, it had been a while since I, I saw this, so I, I didn't really remember the ending such as it was. But I thought it would have been cool too if they had somehow hooked back up with Harlan on the Tin Man planet, who makes like the robot bot bodies. Oh, there you and go. <laughs> and somehow he would, they were able to transfer the consciousnesses into some some robot bodies or something. I thought that, but maybe the technology isn't compatible, or I don't really know where. Harlan oh. is at this point, so. Or he could even uh, ask the uh, Asgard to clone some bodies. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's my head cannon. They all get their bodies back because they somehow yeah in a favor from the yep. Asgard. I'm sure there's a novel about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, this is stuff they can cover when they when they do the revival. Yeah, you, you can revisit this. Yeah, it's just the, when they're not as limited with time and and format yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But it'll be a modern show, so it's going to be a season-long arc about the kid, but he's an adult now just dealing with the PTSD of yeah, all and, this you know, he's gone through. That'll be the whole show. He, he's like hunting through the Stargate network to find SG-1, who allowed him to die and then be reborn in this new body. Yep, he'll be the villain. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Uh, do you have any other uh, thoughts on this episode? Uh, one thing I did like is that uh, they were able to get Sergeant Siler in there. Um, when when Jack and Sam wake up in sick bay, Siler is in the back with like a very nasty, bloody nose. Oh uh, yeah, and like a black eye and something something clearly awful has has happened to him. But they yeah. don't elaborate on it at all, which I thought was kind of funny. Like I was like, did I miss something? Did like Siler get hit in the face or something? So I went back and it's no, he's just. He's just sitting there in sick bay with a, a snuck very, him in. Yep, somehow got hit in the face with something, and yep, yeah, he's got to be. It's always yeah. hurt. <laughs> well, well, we have the the, ex, the ex, ex, explicit title reference when you got Doctor Fraser going. Daniel is a lifeboat. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, there's title. That's where they got it from, right there. That line. Yeah, I'd forgotten that they actually said the title in in the episode. Oh well. Speaking of, oh yeah, yeah. In 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 most languages, it is it is lifeboat. Um, but in German, at least we get to say das Rettungsboot. Yep, the lifeboat. Das Boot. Oh wait, that's a different. Uh, show. Yeah, uh, so the boat. This is the lifeboat. And then <laughs> in in French, uh, I, I don't know if I can say this. Vaisseau Phantom, the Phantom Ship. So I kind of like that one too. But the Phantom <laughs> Ship refers to the craft. I mean, it, life. You don't get the double meaning of, of lifeboat that way, so. No. No? Or Do. he's a ship full of phantoms? Oh, full of ghosts, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Ghost in the Daniel. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we did have some uh, feedback. Oh, yay. Um, Hammond, on our episode on Fragile Balance, commented on YouTube saying, said uh, when the podcast subverts my expectations better than a sci-fi show and i feel like that's that's high praise right there yes oh yeah uh, that was in uh, reference to which one was that 134 kids yeah, yeah 134 yeah yeah and we had our, our younger doppelgangers on yeah so that was that was always fun they had a lot of fun with it <laughs> yeah that's good yep Awesome, and before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Stargate, including Stephen C., Mark B., Jimmy D., Megs G., and William V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you can find the video versions at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And you can join us on our Discord at sqpn.com slash discord. To find previous episodes of Secret to Stargate and to send us feedback, you can visit sqpn.com slash stargate. And you can email us at stargate at sqpn.com. And follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. 
And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1, Enemy Mine. Until then, Father Corey, thank you for joining me and sharing the secret to Stargate. Thank you, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you, too. Thanks, Jack. And what has gone wrong? What has gone wrong? Well, this is not the Stromos. You are not a member of my staff, and that is not me. I feel that sometimes in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And once again, I'm Jack Berezini. Thank you for listening to The Secret to Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious.